My name is Tom, if I haven't met you. Uh, before, I want to kind of piggyback on what Ryan, uh, just, you know, everybody's Ryan here except for me practically, so <laughs> it, it, we'll, we're, we're going to work this out. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I have some nicknames, but we won't go into that. Um, Ryan Wright, who's back there doing all things technical, uh, has made these beautiful handouts. Now, Ryan Johnson is going to be at the back door um, as you try to escape uh, without signing up. Uh, it's fruitless. Let me just tell you that right now. Um, take some of these. We have a ton of them. We are not only having that uh, outreach service at Quigley. That is for everybody. Take some of these. Invite everyone you see. I've already started. Uh, this is a new series we're kicking off next week called No Normal Life Allowed. And God is calling us to something so much more than even the most passionate believers are laying hold of. And we're going to unpack that over a period of about five weeks. It's going to touch on a lot of relevant things. We want you here. Uh, we want you there. So take a bunch of these, hand them out. Also, Roy Mask, whom you met. Um, I'll, get to that in, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, no, we'll do it now. Um, if you were not here last week, uh, for whatever reason, or you were working in children's church or the nursery, please, um, it's very important uh, that you visit the website. Uh, it's on everything. You can see it. Uh, and listen to the podcast. It's called Jesus is Provider 2. It's the podcast from August 15th, not because I preach it particularly well, but because God has been pressing on the pastors and elders here to take our, our ministry, our missionality in uh, uh, another direction, as well as the way we've been going. And that is, uh, is what we call OPG, Overwhelming Poverty in Gunnison. Believe it or not, there are pockets of overwhelming poverty in Gunnison. And what we're going to do is overwhelm that poverty with, with God's generosity, with Jesus' love, with with being living and loving proof of the gospel that we preach, okay? So uh, he has these sheets uh, that talk about it, but please go, if you weren't here, listen to the podcast, pray over it, do what God uh, directs, and we're going to be in great shape. In a nutshell, here it is. We're going to give the entire budget for the rest of the year by October 31st. That's $104,000, and it makes my mouth hurt to just say that number. But it's not that much for God. And then everything given after October 31st, every penny is going out in strategic ways to set people free from the bonds of poverty and, and not having enough heat and clothing and medical care and all of that. And, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. The kingdom's, kingdom's going to be breaking out all over. Okay, that's the housekeeping. We're glad you're here. lot to do this morning. First of all, I want to call up, uh, if I can, is Kathy Mask here? Is she working this morning? You're here? Come on up. We're praying for you. Yeah. Tony Allen, can I bother you? Come on, man. They're both going under the knife this week. So nobody goes under the knife without going under the spirit. So we want to have the honor of of praying for you and, and anointing you and, and just looking forward to, to glorious things. Um, two hips. No, just one. One. And a meniscus. 
Okay. And, and, and what do you got? A knee. A knee. You guys are going to be walking around like, you know? Okay, the older folks laugh. That's the $6 million man. You younger people, it wasn't very good television then. It wasn't a very good joke now. If you want to help, pray for Tony and Kathy. I invite you up. Just lay your hands on them. You don't have to put them on the parts that are going to get operated on. It's fine. That would get creepy. Um, All right, Father, my brother, my sister... My friends, your son, your daughter. Lord, your spirit is upon this place. Your spirit is within your people. And Lord, though our bodies break down, our hearts are being made new day by day through the power of your resurrection, Lord, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask you even even so to give the doctors wisdom. Let these surgeries go so smoothly. Lord, be with them. Let them be aware of your incredible presence. Do great things. Heal them so that they may continue to serve with us and build up the body and reach those who are far from you. Lord, we entrust them to you. We rest in your hope and we we just cover them, Lord, with our prayers, with your blood, and through your Holy Spirit. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, amen. They're going to, yeah, just, you know, soon you'll be leading the Bethany spinning classes. It'll be great. All right, all right. Welcome back. Glad you're here. Listen, for those of you who left us in the spring, you know we were in the series of Acts to be continued. We're going to do this No Normal Life series, and then we're going to get back into Acts. God has so much so much for us. So uh, actually, we're visiting Acts again this morning. Acts 16 is where we want to be. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it to Acts 16. This is one of my favorite Bible passages, so I'm particularly excited. In addition to the baptism, in addition to everything that's going on this week, this is our final week of the series called Foolish Trust. And we've had a great time learning to foolishly trust Jesus. This is the last time you get to see me in my ripped body, Bear grills like clinging to the sheer rock face. So get a good look. We have learned that foolish trust is not optional for people who follow Jesus. So I'm following Jesus. Maybe I trust him. Maybe I don't. Maybe I trust him with everything. Maybe I don't. No. It is the very biblical essence of following Christ, throwing all your hope, throwing all your weight, all your desire, all your trust in a way that people who don't know him would think is foolish. But again and again and again, and this week we'll see, it leads to life, it leads to freedom, it leads to rescue and ransom and joy. But it's risky. It's risky when we look through the eyes of our, of our flesh, and it's glorious. It's glorious. Okay, good. Acts 16. Uh, we're going to pray. We're going to dive right in. Lord, uh, you're so good. You are wonderful. Uh, Lord, and I am not. So I would ask first that you forgive me of my sins, and I wish they were not so many. Lord, I pray that this morning, as we're together that your spirit would just flood this place. Lord, that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through your spirit, that you would open ears and eyes and hearts. Lord, that you would reveal the beauty and splendor, majesty and love of Jesus Christ. 
And let us see him afresh and anew and respond with all that we are in foolish trust. And that leads to life, that leads to freedom, Lord. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed. And only you can do that. And, and we look forward to the fact that you will and that you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Lots to do. So let's go. Um, in Acts 16, we're going to look at four things, okay? Um, Paul and Silas are the guys that we'll be tracking. Now, we're going to look at, one, what happened to Paul and Silas? Two, um, how did Paul and Silas foolishly trust Jesus in the midst of all of this? Number three, how does Jesus respond to the foolish trust that they placed in him? And lastly, we're going to take a look at what does that mean for us? How is Jesus calling us right now, right here this morning, while our butts are still in the seat, to foolishly trust him in the same way? Okay, so to start off, number one, what happened to Paul and Silas? Uh, by the way, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there might be one under the seat in front of you. Now, we're running out a little bit. Here's why. I just got a report this week that some of you have taken so many Bethany Bibles that you're using them to replace the missing legs of your coffee tables. If that's you, bring them back. That's yours to keep if you don't have one. If you have a lot of ours, bring them back so other people can take them. Take them home. They're yours. Good. Um, What happened to Paul and Silas? Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 16, but our boys are just about to be thrown into jail thanks to a crazy possessed woman. Now, which one of us guys can't relate to that, huh? (laughs) Married men, keep your hands down. This is not a good time to raise your hand. Let's pick it up at 16. Here we go. We're going to unpack it as we go, so follow along. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Okay, so Paul and Silas are going along and they meet this slave girl who has a spirit. So this girl is imprisoned in a sense in two ways. Number one, she's a slave. She's not doing this uh, under her own compulsion. She's in a sense owned by these guys. And she has a spirit, a spirit of divination. There's a, an evil, evil spirit that has her truth-telling, right? Now, I want you to see this because she's good at it. She's making a lot of money. It works. Now, the takeaway here very quickly is don't go after everything spiritually that produces results. Oh, you got to try this new yoga Buddhist chant thing with the crystals because it's really helping me. Well, maybe it's working. But if it's working and it's not of Jesus Christ, it's working by the power of another spirit. So this pragmatism of whatever works, then I'm going to do it. There are things working out there that you don't want to have anything to do with. She's one of them. Okay. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, this is awesome if you take a look at it. Even the evil spirit within her is testifying of the truth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the spirit within her knows that Jesus is the most high God, knows that Jesus is the way of salvation, knows that we, thank you, bud, knows that we, knows that we, 
who were since creation, since just after creation, since our first parents sinned, we have by nature and by choice been imprisoned. We've been taken captive, right? And, and we could do nothing on our own to, to free us from that jail. But if you've seen movies like, like uh, Mel Gibson's Ransom or, or anything like, uh, what was the one uh, Liam Neeson was just in? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. And, and their child is taken captive, right? And then they get the call, right, to find out how much it's going to cost to get them free. And it's always like millions and gazillions of dollars. But the call Jesus got was, it's going to take the life of God himself to set people free, to pay that ransom. And he said, I'll be there. I'll be there at the cross. And so he came and lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death to pay the ransom that we owed so that by his death on the cross as our substitute, our ransom, in our place, he died for our sins and he rose for our salvation. The evil spirits know this. They know this. So look, look, um, open your papers, look at your life, Go to the movies, um, read history. You will see that evil forces are not trying to keep you away from becoming something else. Not trying to keep you from being Hindu or Islam or uh, a Wicca or evil opposes Jesus Christ because they know He's the most high God in the way of salvation. If you don't believe the testimony of the Bible, believe the testimony of the evil spirits who say, don't go there because he's the most high God. Now listen, she is going before them and she's saying, hey, these guys are gonna tell you about the most high God and the way of salvation. She's creeping people out so they won't even talk to them. It's like Anthony Bankovitz in the fourth grade on the playground when I finally got enough nerve to talk to a girl. Hey, hey, he likes you. The fat kid likes you. It's a little like that. All right. All right. So what happened? She followed them and said this, verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, yeah, I'll bet, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. He puts foolish trust in the name of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, that it is stronger than any spiritual force. And he casts the demon out of her and she is what? She's set free. That's the name of our message. Foolish trust in Jesus that sets us free. To set us free. So she's free. She's free in the name of Jesus. And when her owners, take a look at what happens. Take a look at what happens. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, she was making boatloads of money for her fortune-telling pimps. I'm telling you. These guys, she was good. And these guys who owned her are farming her out and making a ton of money. And Jesus is cool unless he starts messing with our money, right? Right. Well, that's what got them 
real stirred up. And they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Verse 20. And when they had brought them there to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Okay, that's a lie. It's a lie. So they're, they're being arrested on false pretenses. The crowds joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off, off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, beating with rods, especially when your back is bare, was designed to crack ribs, to flay open the flesh on your back and would often damage the internal organs, particularly the kidneys. So this was severe. This is what they're going through. And we pick it back up in 23. And when they had inflicted many blows, this was a severe beating, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, this is part one. What have Paul and Silas been through? What has their day been like? Okay, so he puts them in the inner prison which means this, if you escape from your cell, you're in somebody else's cell, okay? So they are secure, and, and besides that, they've been fastened into stocks, right? Now, that doesn't sound so bad for you and me because we tend to picture the family vacation in the station wagon going down the highway. There's an early American village there with like stocks and stuff like that, and you have to take a picture with your sister in, in the stocks, right? Different thing, very different. For the Romans, the stocks were not just an instrument of restraint. They were an instrument of torture. What they would do is separate the prisoner's legs as far as they could go and put, those, put their feet in those holes so that guys were, in a sense, doing the splits, which is terribly unnatural. It's just really, I get cold bumps. I can't even watch the Summer Olympics. You know what I mean? It's just not right. Um, so they're in these stocks that separate their legs at a painful angle. So they're sitting up and the tension and the cramps set in. So for relief, one tends to lie back. But what have Paul and Silas just been through? They've had many beatings with rods that have laid their backs rare. So to get relief in their legs, they would lay back in it and be in more pain. So that's what they're going through. How do they, second, how do they foolishly trust Jesus in, in this? We're going to see it in verse 25. Here we go. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, before we finish with the verse, I just want to say, this is not a scripture that you should memorize and use to show that hymns are better than contemporary praise courses. That is not what this passage is teaching. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymn to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here's what's happening. At midnight, at the darkest point, they are singing praise to God. They are praying. They, they, we got a worship service breaking out in the prison with these guys who've been beaten within an inch of their lives. That's what we're seeing. Prayer and singing. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the pain 
Jesus is good. God is good. And they will praise him regardless of how they feel, regardless of how hopeless their situation, regardless of the pain, regardless of of what's at risk. That's where they are. And isn't that where we are when our lives start swirling the drain? No, not always. Not always. This is the time when a lot of believers bail. That's why we preach again and again and again against this prosperity gospel. Because if your theology is that God wants nothing bad to ever happen to his people, he will never, that, that because I believe in Jesus, I'm going to walk through this kingdom as I am in his and un, unscathed and, and everything's going to go well. My kids will never need braces. I will never get bad skin. We will never lose a job. No. Because if you believe that, when that happens, your faith crumbles. The fact is that Jesus redeems the world through his suffering. And in our suffering, we can know him better. And in their suffering, they turn it into praise. And we're going to see the glorious things that happen. The glorious things that happen. It's going to be a huge celebration. There, here, in here, you're going to see it. It can be for you too. We're going to get there in a minute. So that's how they respond in foolish trust. The world would say, woe is me. I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. I got a raw deal. Jesus would have more friends if he treated the ones he has a little better. Right? They're singing praise. What happens? How does Jesus, number three, how does Jesus honor their foolish trust? What does he do in response to it? It's awesome. Here we go. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Here's what happens. Not only Paul and Silas had the locks broken and the chains turned to dust, but everybody there, every prisoner, whether they knew Jesus or not, whether they worshiped Jesus or not, you foolishly trust Jesus and people start getting set free. He said, I came to set the captive free. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about Paul. He's talking about Silas. A lot of us walk around without change, without fetters, without stocks, but on the inside, we're prisoners. We're prisoners of our habits, of our choices, of our addictions, of of these mindsets that have been put on us through maybe from our childhood that we're not good enough, we're we're not pretty enough, we're not smart enough. You can never please God. He's crazy about you. And the only thing stopping us from having every chain fall away is the foolish trust that you can redeem me. You can set me free. Okay, here we go. He's not done. So when the... Oh, I'm I'm okay. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open... He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He's taking his job a little seriously, don't you think? Actually, if you, if you know the history, uh, jailers in first century Rome were, uh, and, and um, Philippi were also um, under this. If you were in charge of guarding a prisoner and they escaped, um, your punishment was the punishment they were under. Okay, so some of those guys are 
have received a death sentence. So if everybody has escaped, he's going to be killed. So he's going to do it himself. That's what he's thinking. But Paul cried out, verse 28, in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Once you see something, the guy who was holding him prisoner is not his enemy, but someone to whom his love is going out to. Don't hurt yourself. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to get you in trouble. Yes, Jesus has set us free, but he also wants to set you free. Some of us are way too close to making that same decision that the jailer almost made. It's not worth it. There is no hope. My life is not worth living anymore. It is. There is a hope. There is a rescuer. There is a redeemer. There is a ransomer. There is a lover of your soul who desires nothing more than to set you free for the life that he created you to live. Whether you have never trusted Jesus Christ or not, or you have, and you walk with him for a long time, I still got chains on me. Things that I haven't turned over, things that I haven't admitted that I'm imprisoned by. He wants to set you free. Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, he's about to ask the ultimate question. Here it is. Sirs, a term of huge respect. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You may have had chains and stocks on you, but you're free inside in a way that I am not. How do I get what you have? How do I get the joy in the midst of incredible suffering? How do I get, how do I get the hope in the darkest night? How do I get the freedom that you have in your hearts? What do I have to do? Whatever he has to do, he's ready to do. And the good news is he doesn't have to do anything. It's been done for him, and that's their answer. They said in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's not what we can do. And this is the message of so many churches. And it just kills me because it's so against the gospel. It's so against scripture. Do this, do this, do this. Dress this way. Cut your hair short. Shave your face. Don't wear shorts to church. Don't dance. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't, don't, don't. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Right? Go to a million Bible studies. Go to every Beth Moore pod simulcast there is in the world. These are all great things. Have eight quiet times before breakfast, and then God will love you. That's not the gospel. Amen. The gospel is this. In our wreckage, in the train wreck of our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, our habits, our lives, in the midst of that, Jesus said, I love you. I'm going to show you the ultimate love when your life is so different than I created you to have. I love you now, not some future version of you. Now I want to transform you. I want to transform your heart and every part of your life. But wherever you are right now, don't try to earn my approval. You have my approval in the cross, in me. Live then in joyful, grateful celebration of that. 
As I change your desires, as I change your thoughts, as I change your habits, as I change your appetites, that's the good news. So all of us who are trying to white-knuckle our behavior, just do better, just do better. The good news is you can't. The even better news is he can. And in him, he views me. Get this. If you knew me the way my wife knows me, the way God knows me, he calls me his spotless child, his son, in whom he rejoices. And it's so far from what you would think if you followed me around with a camera 24 hours a day. But he is unpacking in my life and in those of the lives of the people who follow him, the reality of that. He works out our salvation. And that's progressive sanctification. It happens all our lives. Stop trying to be good enough for God. God was good enough so that you could find refuge and release and sanctuary in him. Okay. Now, we went off script a little bit. So, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to get you. We have a lot to do this morning. They spoke the word, 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Look what happened. He took them. Look at the heart transformation. This is amazing. As soon as he places his foolish trust in Jesus, this jailer is set free from the jail of his heart. Okay, and his heart is immediately transformed, 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Look what he did. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. The very one who may have inflicted those wounds is now washing them, putting salve on them, trying to bring healing to the ones that he would hurt, trying to celebrate the freedom of those who have helped set him free, right? Washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. We're going to do that this morning. At once, he believed he was baptized. What is baptism? It is standing up and saying, Jesus took a stand for me. I'm going to take a stand for him. This is what he has done in my heart. He has died. He's caused me to die to sin and rise to new life. I want to be drenched in him. I'm all in. That's what he said. That's what he did. We're going to see somebody do that this morning. And he brought them into his house and set food before them. He became their servant. His heart is transformed, and he rejoiced. They're throwing a party along with the entire household. Why? Because he had believed in God. Through Jesus Christ, he has been set free. He has been set free. Greatest celebration. We can have that. That is to be the essence of our lives, of following Jesus, is celebrating that he has set us free, that he is setting us free, that he will set us free. It's continual. It's continual. That can be your celebration. This morning, right now. So we saw what Paul and Silas were going through. We saw their foolish trust in Jesus. We saw how Jesus responds to foolish trust by setting people free. And we're going to see what does that mean for us. A couple of questions about how Jesus wants to transform our hearts to foolishly trust him in the same way and be set free. A couple things to wrestle with in your hearts. Paul and Silas had an awful day, an awful day. They were wrongly accused, right? Um, They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were stuck in an inward 
inside prison. And they foolishly trusted Jesus in the midst of it. When your finances are a wreck, when your future is cloudy, when your past is overwhelming you, when your stress level is going through the roof, you can't pay your bills, and your relationships with your family, with your friends, are turning to dust. And people have hurt you. What are you going to do? The question to us is that when the circumstances in our lives are the worst, will we trust Jesus foolishly? Will we do that right now, right here, this morning, foolishly trust him with the worst circumstances of our lives? Number two, here's the question. Paul and Silas were severely beaten. Do we foolishly trust Jesus with our physical and emotional pain? Are we foolishly trusting Jesus with our physical and emotional pain? Are we locked in the stocks? We feel like this chronic pain, whether it's physical or emotional, will never leave us. This, this depression will never lift. This day will never get better. My, my life and, and, and my outlook on it will always be what it is now, and it's not good. In the pain. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. What is he shouting? Come to me. I have suffered for you. I will suffer with you. I will transform your suffering into praise. Will you and I trust Jesus foolishly enough this morning, right now, to bring him our pain, physical and emotional, and be set free? Paul and Silas broke out into a worship service at midnight. Do you foolishly trust Jesus enough to sing praises in the darkest night? When things are at their darkest, will you and I foolishly trust Jesus? It's been said that faith is the bird that sings first in the morning when it's still dark. How can I keep from singing your praise? How We sang it, right? How can I keep from shouting your name? Will circumstances do it? Will finances do it? Will darkness do it? Will hopelessness do it? Not for those who foolishly trust him. Will you and I foolishly trust him, though this morning seems the darkest night? They did. And when they did, he showed up and he set them free. That promise is for you. That promise is for me. Maybe you're the slave girl. Maybe you're the slave girl who has been owned by certain life patterns, life choices. Maybe you've dabbled in spiritual things other than the most high God. He wants to set you free just like he set her free. Maybe, maybe you're like the jailer who's just going through the motions. He's just doing his job. But all of a sudden, as he hears what is crazy, these beat up, imprisoned guys are praising God. God shows up, starts setting people free. 
And his eyes are opened and his ears are opened and his heart is softened and open. And he sees Jesus for who he is and what he wants to do in his life. They are in prison on the outside, free on the inside. He is free on the outside, imprisoned on the inside. Right? He's going rock climbing. He's going mountain biking. He's rafting the rivers. He's running. He's doing all the freedom inside in prison. Maybe we're the jailer who needs to be set free. But the cry of most Christians is change my circumstances, not transform my heart. But Jesus loves us too much. See, if he changes our circumstances without transforming our heart, we're simply in a more comfortable place to be imprisoned in our hearts. Do you get it? But if he sets us free on the inside, it doesn't matter if we're in chains or in stocks or on a mountaintop, we're free an untouchable, bulletproof freedom. That's what he wants. He loves us that much. Okay. That's it. That's it. Foolishly trust Jesus, the most high God, and the way of salvation, and he will set you free. Whether for the first time or for the first time in a long time whether you've never trusted Jesus and you didn't believe in him or you've been believing in him for a long time, but you're dragging chains with you as you're following him and he created you to fly. He's not gonna stop until we're truly free. And the scripture says, if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And we come before you, people who are, in some cases, fully imprisoned in our hearts, in our circumstances, in our minds. Some partially imprisoned, Lord. We have one foot in the kingdom and the other foot in prison because of our choices, because of our, uh, the, the things that we've allowed to entangle us and entrap us. And Lord, your call to every one of us, the most faithful to those who are farthest from you, is come to me because of my cross, because of my suffering, because of my death, because of my resurrection, because of my spirit and my presence. I invite you to run to me and be set free. Nothing is stronger. No chain is stronger than I am. And it cannot hold you captive when you're in my arms. What would keep us from running, sprinting to him and saying, Lord, I believe, set me free. Oh, that's the good news. That's the gospel for all of us.